Greetings. I'm Matt Matthews, one of the pastors here at First Pres in Champaign, and I'm happy to welcome you to our media ministry. Join us in person. We're located at the intersection of Church and State Streets, adjacent to Westside Park in downtown Champaign. Our traditional worship service is at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, and on most of those Sundays, we offer French translation. Our contemporary services on Sunday begin at 11.15 a.m. When you come to First Pres, what you'll find, what I hope you'll find, is a community of people who support each other and who are passionate about making a difference in our community and beyond. You'll find relevant teaching for children and adults. We have at least a dozen Bible studies in small groups, including pickleball, that's right, pickleball, adult choir, a bell choir for all comers, and other programs and events designed to grow your faith and give you and me opportunities to serve. There's a place for you. I'm glad you tuned in. Our scripture reading for today is Jonah 3, 10 through 4, 11. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live." And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God had appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear God, I pray that not my words, but your words be heard. Pray that you would be with us as we go into this time and help us all to take something away from it that we can take into each of our weeks. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So Jonah is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Not only is it only like a page and a half in most printings of the Bible, so very quick and easy to read the whole thing, But it's also one of the best examples of humor that you'll see in the Bible. I think it's easy to lose the humor sometimes, but I just want to make sure that y'all think about that as we 
quickly go through the story of Jonah just one more time to make sure we all have it fresh in our minds. We have missed one part still. So God tells Jonah, hey, I need you to go to Nineveh and ask them to turn from their evil ways. And Jonah, of course, gets on the boat to Tarshish, going in the exact opposite direction that God has asked him to do. We now have a prophet of God running away from God and the thing that God has asked him to do. On the boat, of course, there is the storm that I mentioned when talking with our children and the casting of lots. And this points out to Jonah. The JPS Bible commentary points out the irony that is about to happen here because, you know, they try not to throw it. And then they're the ones who pray to God before throwing Jonah over. And they're the ones who worship God first in this book. And these are Gentile sailors who are now praying and worshiping God. Meanwhile, the person who's causing them, the, the person who's causing their whole problem is a prophet of God that they have now had to throw overboard and ask for forgiveness for. In the fish, when Jonah is swallowed, we finally see what we think might be the start of a redemption arc for Jonah. He says a prayer of gratitude that he's, you know, not dying, and is eventually spat up on the shore where he is told once again, go to Nineveh and ask them to repent. Jonah then finally goes into Nineveh and walks the three full days it takes to go all the way across the city, and his voice is heard. The king hears this and he says, okay, we've messed up. We don't need to be on God's bad side. I'm going to ask that everyone, including their animals, fast, which is kind of wild to make your animals fast for something they had very little control over. But my favorite part is that he says, and everyone needs to wear sackcloth, including the animals. And this gives me a mental image of a cow and like a sackcloth vest that this person has had to, A, find a big enough sackcloth to do or stitch them together, and then wrestle with it to get it on it and then just left it outside, you know, where it normally is in a sackcloth vest. And of course, this is where we rejoin our story. And it's really easy to ask, why did Jonah do all of this to avoid this? Why is he so mad about this? It seems odd. Well, Nineveh is, I think, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, so not exactly friendly with Israel. In fact, they take over the, nor the northern kingdom eventually, and they may have done it before. There's argument. There's history stuff happening in the midst of this story. So there's definitely some tensions between that. But another thing that was pointed out to me by the commentary was that Jonah was looking for justice. As humans, we don't like it when it feels like justice hasn't been done to someone or some group of people that has done something wrong. We like to see their comeuppance happen. And of course, in the story, we don't get that. What we get instead of this story is stories of humor, of course, but also redemption. Nineveh isn't destroyed. This, this works. God does not destroy Nineveh because of their repentance. But the bigger person that I think we see redemption and redeeming for, I guess those are the same word, is Jonah. Even though we don't really see it, like Jonah's arc is a dubious thing to call what he's going through in this book because we don't see Jonah change at all. Like he does get a little bit nicer in the whale, but then goes right back. In fact, when he sits to watch what will happen to the city, it's pointed out that Jonah isn't simply like sitting there hoping that God will change God's mind. Jonah might be hoping that Nineveh backslides right back into their old habits and ends up getting destroyed anyway. And of course, 
they don't, and God even asks them, so why are you mad? What are you doing up here? Even as Jonah is being the absolute worst, saying that he would be better off dead, doing all these things that I feel like I could see a teenage me doing if I was mad about something I was asked to do by my parents or something, Jonah is the absolute worst, but God never gives up on Jonah. Not only does God want Jonah to be the one to go to Nineveh and do this work, and not only is Jonah remarkably successful for somebody who is so unwilling to do these things, God tries to teach Jonah a lesson. God not only asks him why he's angry, he, God causes a plant to rise up over Jonah and has a worm eat the plant just to once again try and teach Jonah a lesson, just to try and get it across to him that 120,000 of these people are probably children, don't know their right hand from their left, so they're definitely innocent, and not to mention all the animals in the city that are now wearing sackcloth are also innocent. Don't all of these things deserve? He even tries to appeal to Jonah's sense of justice, or God tries to appeal to Jonah's sense of justice, but it doesn't, we don't know if it works. I think it's one of the best parts of Jonah is how it just, excuse me, how it just abruptly ends. We are left hanging, wondering, did, did Jonah get the point, or is he still sitting down there angry as all get out, trying to figure out how to get back to Israel now? I think that this shows us something about how we are supposed to interact with other people in our world. God doesn't give up on Jonah, regardless of how upsetting or irritating or bad Jonah's being. Jonah is legitimately, as funny as this is, wishing for the death of an entire city and everything in it. That is not cool, and it's not something that we would think is okay for anybody really to do if they told us that, I really want that place to just completely be destroyed and gone forever. I think that that, I think most of us would have to say, ah, what about, you know, the people there that, you know, didn't do anything? We would at least have qualms with that. But God still wants Jonah, and I think that means that we have to look for redemption in those people that we might think are unredeemable, the people that maybe don't look like they would fit in with us, the people that say things that don't really fit in with us, the people that say things that are upsetting, you know, the people that I'm probably thinking about. Somebody had to pop into your mind when I said, the absolute worst person that you can think of, that person is loved and God wants their redemption too, especially when we think about, you know, watching the news and seeing the people that say things up there the politicians that maybe we like or dislike, all of those people are still loved by God and still desired by God's redeeming. Now, the nice thing about this story is it doesn't tell us that we have to just take any kind of meanness or anger or abuse from the person that we are supposed to be loving and hoping for the redemption of. You'll notice God doesn't just let Jonah be Jonah and be awful. God does actually do the work of trying to help Jonah learn and change and become a better person. But we know that this means, for us at least, if we want to be godlike, one of those things is believing in and hoping for the redemption of the people, even the ones we don't like. And I think that's a really important thing for us to take away as we head into 2024, yet another presidential election year, where tensions are going to be high amongst us. We will likely have people on either sides. And even as you disagree and have discussions about that, which is a good thing to do, and you don't have to end up agreeing, and you don't have to, you know you know, just go over with the other person just because, that God loves both of you. 
And to me, at least, that makes it easier to deal with when I have a disagreement with somebody, is knowing that God believes in this person, God believes that this person is redeeming, has redeeming qualities, and is redeemable. That fact in itself means that even the worst person, I have to believe at least, has some way of being both loved and useful to God and just has redeeming in them. But... I don't think this story just points outward from us. I think this story also points inward. We too, even when we are at our worst, are loved and redeemable by God. God believes in us and believes that we are capable of doing better and doing good things. God loves us when we're at our worst. There's things online I've seen of people talking about trying not to use self-deprecating humor anymore or not trying to do negative self-talk. You know that thing when you get mad at yourself for like losing your keys or something, you're like, why did I put my keys over there? I'm so dumb. That kind of thing. What brought a great example of this to me happened yesterday at the Cubs game. <laughs> it was late in the game. Both teams had brought in different pitchers and we're unfortunately not gonna, we're not gonna talk about the other team's pitcher that went poorly. Um, but the Cubs pitcher had some trouble too. He threw one ball, two balls, three balls, and the fans started booing. It was very loud, and I could only imagine how scary that must have been on the field, just knowing that you could mess up the game right here. You could throw it away, and also everybody in the stands doesn't really believe in you right now. They are booing you and actively not liking you and not hoping for you. But then he threw a strike and everybody started cheering and clapping and rooting for him. All of a sudden, everybody was encouraging him. And I think the wonderful thing about this whole story is that God doesn't wait for us to throw the strike. God is already encouraging us and hoping for us to do better and helping us to do better before we start to get our act together. I think it's easy for us to feel like we can't do better as we think about things. Like when it comes to seminary, I know that there are many seminarians when they first start, they think they couldn't possibly be a good enough person to do this work of ministry. I know that for some of us, probably it might feel like, well, I can't go and do this with the church. Or I can't join in with the Bible study of the church. I haven't done the reading for ages now. Uh, I can't help out with this different event or that event. I haven't helped out with these events in the past, and I feel like it'll be really embarrassing if I just suddenly show up and start helping out. And I think the wonderful thing is that God isn't expecting you to have done the work in the past. God is simply hoping for you to do better in the future, and God is right there with you and believes in you. So I think my final key thing I want us to hopefully capture as we go back out into our weeks is one, no one is outside of God's redeeming love and grace. And that means that we have to hope for that redemption and that love to shine through on every person we meet, even the people that are kind of the worst. And the second is that we too are never outside of God's loving, redeeming, or redeeming love and grace. We too even at our worst, are still loved by God and God is still right there with us, hoping and helping us to do better. Amen. 
Thank you for joining this podcast of First Presbyterian Church Champaign. Visit us at our campus at the intersection of Church and State Streets in downtown Champaign. And for more information, visit us online at www.firstpres.church. Have a great week. Thank you.